Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Overtake F1 podcast. I am Ted. As always, I am joined by my brother Tom. Tom, we are going to preview the Mexican Grand Prix of 2019, getting down to the wire here in the 2019 calendar season. What's up? Not much. Just feels like it's been forever since we've had some Formula One. Uh, given that the race was on a Saturday night, it feels like it was extra long the two weeks between the Japanese Grand Prix and now the Mexican Grand Prix. But we are in North America. We're ready to rock with the last four races of the season. Yep, we got a couple races in the Americas, and then we're off to Abu Dhabi, and that's a wrap on the 2019 season. Uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the Mexican Grand Prix, which we are very thankful is still on the calendar uh, after a potential uh, move that, that was rumored to be made during the season, um, it will be around uh, for, the, like, for the near future. Uh, we're one step closer to the 2021 regulations. Uh, here in the next couple weeks. October 31st is a key date for these new regulations. Right now, all hell is breaking loose. So hopefully in the next week, week and a half, we can rein in everything that's going on with these new rules, and we'll explain it to you uh, the best we can. But October 31st uh, is a key date, according to race race fans, because the game plan is to prepare uh, a dossier containing briefing papers for submission to the FIA World Motorsport Council, uh, which needs to ratify these regulations in time for the public publication of the regulations to be sent to the teams uh, October 31st. The BBC continues on to say that there has been no indication from the FIA, Motorsports World Governing Body, or F1, that they will back down from that October 31st date. Uh, given that no World Motorsport Council meeting is scheduled until, until early December, this ratification is likely to take place via e-votes, and if a compromise cannot be reached, Ferrari still have the right to veto the 2021 rules package, uh, but it's understood that the Italian team would prefer matters would prefer not to take uh, matters into those hands. So, Tom, a lot going on these next two weeks, but it looks like we're going to get closer to 2021 uh, regulations by next Thursday. Yeah, hopefully we can get to a point where the teams find uh, a compromise or find a solution on what they want the cars to look like in 2021. It looks like the top teams, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull, uh, are trying to uh, curb what the changes are going to look like. Um, They have actually presented their own proposal for 2021 to the FIA and F1 on Thursday. Uh, It was based on the uh, F1 proposal, the one that we're currently looking at with the heavier focus on um, bodywork and ground effect, Um, but trying to add a scope for the development to ensure that the cars kind of have that differentiating factor and that it isn't all, um, you know, cookie cutter, uh, samey looking cars. I think that was the big thing that Mercedes, Ferrari, and Rebel don't want to see because they want those loose gray areas where they can go and develop and outpace and outdevelop their competitors. But meanwhile, you have some of the more midfield teams, Alfa Romeo, McLaren, and Renault, um, really looking for the uh, 2021 change. Uh, they want that ground effect and the rules that were proposed by um Formula One uh, a month or so ago. Um, I think that's because they see nothing but wins by changing up the formula. Um, You know, if they currently, if they continue on the current path, Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull are going to continue to dominate the lower teams. They're just not the lower teams are just not going to be able to catch up, Uh, and so they want to bring about that change um, to try and 
even the playing field. Uh, Williams also came on a number, a number of days later to join with McLaren, Alfa Romeo, and Renault uh, in supporting the 2021 change. So we'll see how everyone votes. Uh, we'll see how everything goes down as we get closer to uh, Halloween. And it's not surprising that McLaren, Renault, and Williams, right, are the three teams that um, are three of the four that want these new rule proposals to go through for 2021, right? Because if you have, you know, Mercedes, Ferrari, uh, and Red Bull, and then you take their kind of their junior teams, um, McLaren, Renault, and Williams are, are kind of the other ones that are left out that are on their own and um, are customers of, you know, are, are getting engines from these other teams or creating their own engines. Um, but there are those smaller teams that have been basically the disadvantaged one for this era of Formula One. Um, you know, Haas has this weird relationship uh, with Ferrari that keeps them, you know, kind of in line with what Ferrari is doing. Um, Toro Rosso, obviously the junior team of, of Red Bull. So it is weird to see Alfa Romeo on here, but they're kind of in this gray area um, with their relationship going like for these regulations. So uh, not surprising that McLaren and Renault and Williams are voting for the 2021 regulations while Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull um, are presenting their own proposal and basically still trying to control the sport. So it's pretty obvious that, you know, Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull have the most power here. They want things to stay status quo and keep raking in the money. And that goes for, you know, budget caps, aerodynamic uh, regulations, um, everything that has kept them you know, on the gravy train so far in this era of Formula One. Yeah, so it really comes down to who's got the power and who's going to really push their vision for Formula One forward. Um, expect, you know, Liberty Media having taken over to try and shake it up and maybe try and change that veto power, change how the teams are dispersed with their prize money and like kind of, um, you know, get the old uh, kind of uh, blue chip teams out of there and give them kind of less control um, for the future. But uh, one thing that the teams were able to change is that uh, Formula One is abandoning its plans for the reverse grid races um, for 2021. Um, these were the uh, races that would go take place on Saturday in reverse championship order to determine the qualifying uh, setup for the race on Sunday. Uh, very popular Formula One management. They thought it would drive viewers. They thought it would make everything way more exciting, but uh, none of the teams really uh, enjoyed it. They didn't think it was going to be very good. The drivers were vocal uh, and very adamant they did not want to do it. So uh, Ross Braun and the rest of Formula One did back down on that this week. I think this is the right call. I don't think we need these kind of gimmicks. We touched on this a little bit. Uh, in our last episode, but I don't, I don't think we need, need these kind of gimmicks uh, on on the weekends and on, you know, to replace qualifying. It, it just, it causes all kinds of problems, in my opinion, because, you know, you're, you're going to have cars weaving through the field. You're going to have the slower cars at the front. I think there's going to be a lot more accidents. I think there's going to be a lot more um, pressure on drivers and teams to operate, you know, kind of within their, their allotted management of you know, parts and power units. Like I think everyone's just going to be so scared, you know, to really run it uh, in, a, in something competitive on Saturday that's going to allow or not allow them to be as competitive as possible on Sunday. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with the, the Q1, Q2, Q3 qualifying session. Uh, I'm glad this has been abandoned. 
I wouldn't mind seeing it in you know lower uh, lower formulas and lower um, racing denominations to see you know kind of what it looks like and what the examples are of how it could succeed or fail. But uh, at the Formula One level, I think what we've got uh, is just fine. Agreed. Uh, that's a good idea. Like use the Formula Two, use Formula Three as a testing ground. See how that goes. See how they like it. They already have a. Um, two races on a weekend. So this is a perfect time to say, okay, is this working? Are people enjoying it? Um, is it really throwing the uh, front runners for a loop or is it doable? So, you know, hopefully they can try that out uh, or hopefully the regulations will even the playing field enough so that qualifying is actually a completely open field and everyone has uh, just as good of an opportunity to run and get into Q3. Petrobras is set to end their sponsorship deal with McLaren. Uh, Petrobras is 64% owned by the Brazilian government. It was originally a five-year deal, but the newly uh, elected Jair Bolsonaro has called it off. And it seems to be kind of a publicity stunt uh, for a president who is um, very polarizing, uh, to say the least. Toro Rosso will undergo a name change for the 2020 season. They will be called Scuderia Alfa Tori and that is named after Red Bull's fashion brand. So, Tom, if Red Bull names their new team after their fashion brand, is this going to be kind of a move away from the the Red Bull can, the blue and silver car? Everything seems so mechanical in, in Formula One. Is this going to be like a super – like a change to, to super swanky clothing and, and a super swanky, you know, fashionista design scheme? I really hope so. I think that like they could really get a flashy livery out there on the car. Um, hopefully, they could like do something where they actually like change it on a like race to race basis, which would be super cool. But I don't think that's allowed by like the FIA. But you know, it, it it opens up a lot of possibilities. You know, if this is like a fashion brand, there could be you know different helmets every week. There could be different like fire suits every week. They could do a whole lot. I'm hoping that they like get really into it and let the team over at Scuderia Alpha Tauri get really wild with their, with the brand, with the image and just get wild with it because we have a lot of classic old school liveries in formula one. And I want to see some wild shit come out and really put some stuff, put some weird looking stuff out there. Just a quick Google search for kind of what this Alpha Tauri brand looks like and, and what the appearance is. looks like it's kind of a, it's like a athletic wear, so it's kind of leaning more into that uh, like athleisure vibe. There's like sweatshirts and kind of leggings and like workout gear and stuff. And the like delivery that was proposed, like it's that it shows on motor on motorsport um, dot com, is like very black and white. It's almost uh, it's almost like a regression into you know kind of the opposite of what we're talking about here. It's very. Um, it's very basic, uh, very black and white, and no real mention of the uh, of the Red Bull can. So, um, obviously, Red Bull is right there on the uh, on the side, but um, you know we'll see what this ends up being uh, next year. God, it's probably going to be another black and white or black and silver job like the uh, Haas is this year. Sounds like it might be boring, but oh well. We'll uh, we'll see what they unveil in twenty twenty. 
And uh, speaking of uh, fu the future, uh, we have more movement on the Miami Grand Prix. Uh, initially, there were plans for a downtown street race. Uh, however, those were abandoned due to local opposition. Uh, however, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, uh, his company is now sponsoring a track that goes around the Hard Rock Stadium where the, uh, the Dolphins do play. Uh, it's kind of in no man's land between Miami and uh, Fort Lauderdale. So it's going to be uh, – doesn't have that downtown glitz and glamour. Uh, but it does um, make it a little bit easier to do the setup, the breakdown. It'll probably be a little bit less uh, trouble caused by the locals. So uh, there are still some hurdles it needs to clear, but um, probably going to be happening sooner rather than later. And uh, this will definitely go hand in hand with a Formula One fan event uh, in downtown Miami. I feel like them getting that done will be pretty easy. So uh, expect to see Danny Ricardo and Lewis Hamilton cruising down Miami Beach uh, in some sweet old uh, Formula One cars in the near future. Could be a cool scene, but I really hope they don't get rid of Coda. Uh, I think that is just a better racetrack than this will be. This one looks just real pedestrian from what the concept images look like, but uh, we'll see how Formula One goes ahead with it. We'll see if they, um, if they can spice it up in any way. There is a Formula One race coming to Miami, whether uh, the world likes it or not. They are really, really trying to hammer this thing through. Um, race fans recently posted an article basically describing how uh, in the bidding for the Formula One media rights overall, like the ownership of Formula One, um, that Stephen Ross's company, he's, again, he's the owner of the Dolphins, uh, Stephen Ross's company along with a uh, Middle Eastern sovereign wealth group and some more private equity guys were going to try and buy Formula One, but it was going to jack up the price for Liberty. So it looks like some sort of back deal, backdoor deal you know, was made where um, the price didn't get dri driven up. Liberty was able to buy Formula One, and Stephen Ross and his group was promised a Miami uh, GP with minimal race hosting fees. And as we've seen, we already – scrapped the idea of the circuit downtown, and now they're trying to force it into, uh, like you said, no man's land around Hard Rock Stadium. So I think as much as this is being uh, fought by, whether it's local politicians um, or just the logistics of what can happen downtown, like a Miami race is happening, and I could not agree with you more that um, the more races in America, like, like I'm for it. I'm for growing the sport in the United States. Uh, you know, but don't do it at Coda's expense. I think it's a great track, and we're going to see it here in just a week's time. That brings us to uh, Mexico. So we will be racing around the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez uh, in Mexico City, uh, Mexico. The uh, stadium, the racetrack is named after two Mexican racing brothers, uh, Ricardo and Pedro Rodriguez, uh, who both participated in Formula One in the 60s. Unfortunately, both both brothers did perish while racing uh, Ricardo in a Formula One event and Pedro Rodriguez uh, in another discipline. Um, so the track was named after them uh, posthumously. Uh, the Mexican Grand Prix was run from 62 to 70 and then took a break from 86 to 92. 
took a break, and then has been running from 2015 to now. And as Ted mentioned at the top of the podcast, it was almost axed for the next season, but uh, it's now on contract for another five years, uh, which is fantastic. It's a great energy and atmosphere around there. It's late in the season, so it's usually the last year this was where Hamilton um, Hamilton's title was decided. Uh, so it's always a good spot for that. And uh, I think it's definitely on the list of uh, races that Ted and I are looking to go to. So absolutely great atmosphere. Uh, however, it does have horrible atmosphere because at 7,500 uh, 7, feet, uh, it has extremely thin air, which brings a challenge to this track. At this, uh, the thinness of the air, the lack of the oxygen makes it so that the engines have to work harder. Um, there's also less downforce because of the thin air, so the cars don't generate as much downforce as they would at sea level and then the drivers are also dealing with less oxygen to breathe so while they're huffing and puffing try to drive these cars around they're not getting as much air into them so uh, it makes it a very difficult track to drive on and then finally there's the baseball stadium in the third sector which is just awesome because the cars come in and the shots of the crowd just going nuts every time somebody comes through is just an awesome sight it really allows a ton of people to get uh, onto this track uh, to watch it. There will be over 140,000 people on race day and, and close to 400,000 people over the whole weekend going to uh, this race and going to this spe this spectacle. And as we saw when we were in uh, Austria a couple years ago, like it's basically just a massive party you know, for four days uh, at an F1 event. So can't recommend uh, going to one enough. We're going to do 71 laps. The circuit length is 4.304 kilometers. That's just over 2.6 miles. Valtteri Botas has the lap record of a 118.741, and that was set last year. That was the, uh, the fastest lap set in 2018. DRS zones uh, between turn 17 and turn 1. That's the start-finish straight. And between turns 3 and 4, and there is a rumored third DRS zone uh, that Toby Gruner is reporting between turns 11 and 12, just before the stadium section. Prior winners here, Max Verstappen is on a two-race streak in 17 and 18, and Lewis Hamilton, uh, also the only other current driver with a win here in 2015. Tires on offer this weekend are going to be C2, C3, and C4. Yeah, last year was uh, actually a really fun race. Uh, as I said, it was the one where Hamilton locked in and clinched the WDC, uh, so he had a great atmosphere there, running around in the stadium section uh, with the British flag billing behind him. Uh, we'll see if that happens again this year, um, but it was Verstappen who won, uh, Vettel in second, and Raikkonen in third, uh, and then Hamilton actually got uh, fifth overall, but it was enough to get him the win. Um, just really great. There were tons of overtakes between Verstappen, Hamilton, Vettel, Raikkonen. Um, that start-finish straight is real, real long. There's a lot of run up to it on the start. So uh, expect there to be – if you get a good start here, you can really make it stick um, going down to that first turn on the right, uh, first right-hander. And then there's the kink, and then there's another long run. So uh, the battle at the start could be very, very interesting, uh, especially if uh, a Red Bull is on pole. 
uh, as Ricardo was last year. So uh, should be really interesting. Again, Verstappen has won the last two years running. It seems like he's got a really good handle on this track. Uh, and then the Red Bull's downforce should be extremely helpful because the more downforce he can generate, uh, because of that thin air, it does have a little bit of an advantage. So, um, you know, Mercedes is out there obviously saying all oh, the Ferrari is going to be fast on the straights and the Red Bull is going to be fast in the corners. So, you know, they're saying they're not going to be very successful, but uh, I'm expecting, you know, Mercedes and Hamilton to be up in the fight. Yeah, that start finish straight, like coming off of the starting line, it, it's so long that you you watch replays of, uh, of past races and I just can't believe how long it is. And it really gets everybody up to full speed and makes that first turn really, really interesting. So that'll definitely be a highlight as most starts are. Um, but there was crazy action on these starts last year. And there's a great opportunity for, you know, if you don't get off that line real quick and you don't initiate that clutch, um, the guys in the back and the midfield can get off really quick and make up some places uh, right there off the bat. So Tom, as we mentioned, Verstappen has two in a row here at Mexico. Can he make it a hat trick in Mexico? If I was a betting man, I'd put it on Verstappen. Um, he was absolutely electrifying last year, started behind his teammate Danny Ricardo, was able to jump him on the start. And although he wasn't in first the entire way, he was always in the best position, managed his tires really well, had that extra downforce, was able to put a pretty sizable distance between himself and Vettel by the end of the race. I think it was something on the order of like 14 seconds. So he was really flying last year. Uh, I think he'll do it again. Uh, I think Hamilton, again, he's going to be in kind of cruise mode. You know, he doesn't, the only thing that hurts Hamilton is a DNF. So he's not going to get into that much of a fight. Uh, I think Vettel and Leclerc, they, you know, they're going to do their thing. They're going to put up a fight, but I think Verstappen and is going to be the one who's really fighting and really fighting to take a win because it's been real rough for him the last, you know, four or five races. You know, he has been underperforming, not always due to his fault. You know, he has two crashes in Spa and last week in or last race in Japan. So he's going to be champion at the bit to get out there and really show what he can do and put a good capper on the season. Yeah, there's no reason to believe that Max Verstappen can't make it a, make it three in a row here in Mexico. Uh, since he's been with Red Bull, he's been dominant in this race. And in the one year that he was in a Red Bull and he did not win, he was still on the podium. He got a third place in 2016 when Nico Rosberg took the win. So dominant in a Red Bull in Mexico, that has a lot to do with the car and a lot to do with the car setup. Um, one of the tracks that does favor Red Bull, if they could ever get to this point of the season, um, you know, the next couple, the next couple tracks, these last four are really pretty good for him. So if they could ever get one of their drivers or, you know, get the constructor standings close enough um, heading into these last four races, then they could really be in the catbird seat uh, to take home a WCC or a WDC. But alas, that is not where we are in Formula One. Hamilton, as we've been alluding to a little bit here, has a 64-point lead on Botas. Uh, he has the ability to clinch the WDC this week. Uh, he needs to finish with at least 78 points between him and Valtteri Bottas. Uh, will he do it this weekend, Tom? Again, because I'm betting on Verstappen, I don't think Hamilton's going to get there. Um, if Hamilton gets first and the fastest lap and Bottas gets fourth or less, Hamilton would win. 
If Hamilton gets first and no fastest lap, then Botas would have to get fifth or less. I don't think I, I don't really see Hamilton getting first place. So like, that's why I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and then if Hamilton gets, uh, second or third, then Botas essentially would have to get like eighth or ninth. And I don't see Botas doing that. So I think this is going to push and I think it's going to be a USA end to the season. Uh, I think Hamilton will be able to, you know, I think he'll clinch it, uh, in Austin in a week's time. So I don't see it happening this week. The title is just a, still a little too close to call, but um, it's coming. It's inevitable. But uh, unfortunately, it's not going to happen again in Mexico. Yeah, I think we have uh, we gave Mexico the WDC last year. Let's give it back to, uh, to Austin and let them take in the Lewis Hamilton glory and uh, the hear that British anthem uh, play one more time and really get under everybody's skin there. So I think um, I'm with you. I don't think Hamilton is going to win. And like, but the one thing to be careful of is at the beginning, like if Botas, if Botas gets into a situation where he gets jammed up and DNFs, then we obviously get into a situation where uh, it is very likely to happen. So Tom, we've talked a lot about the top teams. Mercedes obviously locked up the WCC for this year. Hamilton is going to get that WDC sooner or later. What is your most intriguing storyline for the last four races? For me, it's going to be the battle for third place. You know, Mercedes is wrapped up first and second, but third place still really hot. We have Leclerc sitting at 221 points, Verstappen at 212 points, and Vettel right there as well at 212. Um you know, if Verstappen really does go out there and wins in Mexico and Leclerc, even if he gets second, Verstappen's going to really close that gap and it's going to be really, really tight at the top. Um, Vettel, you know, he's been driving well since his, uh, you know, since the terrible outing in Russia. You know, he drove well in Singapore. He drove well in Japan as much as he could um, last week in outside of the false start. But um, I just think it's it's still a place where any of these three guys could have a breakout performance one week and put themselves in the driver's seat for third place. You know, um, a Ferrari won in Coda last year. Does that mean that Leclerc is going to get there? Does that mean that Vettel is going to get there? Could be. You know, Verstappen won in um, Mexico last year. He also was looking extremely good in Brazil until he hit Esteban Ocon. So Verstappen's going to be looking good in um, in that race. So. It's going to be really tight, and it's really going to come down to a day-to-day, a Sunday-by-Sunday performance for all three of these guys to get third place. And I think out of all of them, like, you know, Vettel might be a little too, like, on his back heels. He might be like, hey, the season's kind of over. But Leclerc and Verstappen are going to be fighting tooth and nail for the last four races. You can guarantee uh, that. So this is one where I expect it'll go down to Abu Dhabi to see who's going to come out with third place with the bronze medal. Let me ask you this, is it a what are the ramifications of Leclerc beating Vettel, right? Like so I'm more interested in, in Leclerc versus Vettel rather than either of these Ferraris beating Verstappen. Um, I think obviously the the struggles of Ferrari are well documented this year. Um, you know, Verstappen hasn't had an an insane amazing season by uh by any standards. Um, but he did have a good a good first half. 
if Leclerc beats Vettel, is that more important for like the dynamics of Ferrari? Um, does Vettel need to beat Leclerc? Like, where do you see the battle being more important? Is it Leclerc versus Verstappen or Leclerc versus Vettel? Vettel versus Verstappen. I think it's. I think the 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 torch has already been passed in the minds of Ferrari and the Tifosi. I think that the it's inevitable that Leclerc is eventually going to be the guy and. I think the Tifosi have made the decision. The Ferrari fans have made the decision that Leclerc is going to be the energetic spark that they're going to put the their entire efforts and their entire passion behind. And it comes down to how the garage and how the team principals and how Ferrari as a corp as like a corporate entity regards this. Because I think they are still thankful to Vettel and everything he's done. I think they're still going to like hold him as, you know, an equal to Leclerc, but like the focus is going to be on Leclerc. We're in a situation like Red Bull two years ago where the young superstar has arrived, they've gotten their wins and now the, the old salt, you know, in that, in the Red Bull case, it was Daniel Ricardo in Ferrari's case, it's smash and Vettel that they're both going to get equal treatment, but there's definitely going to be the golden boy. And so I think that Vettel will either, have to come to terms with being Kimi Raikkonen or being, you know, the backup driver, or he can take his talents elsewhere. I'm sure he'd be welcomed wherever he went, or he goes off and, and retires. You know, that's been a constant thing that people have been rumoring and hinting at, but I don't see that happening. But the dynamic is very similar. Leclerc is the golden boy, Leclerc is the guy, and I think whoever takes third place this season. Nothing's going to change. Leclerc's still the guy. I think my biggest storyline moving forward for the rest of the season is this McLaren versus Renault battle that we've been having uh, all year. I think McLaren has shown that they've dominated the rest of the midfield. Carlos Sainz has been a huge component of that. He's driven his ass off this year. Um, definitely like our most improved uh, racer on the grid. And one of the biggest surprises on the grid definitely, as he's been passed around from team to team to team the last couple years. McLaren is currently at 111, and Renault is currently at 77. We've kind of had this gap uh, the whole year because Renault has just been shooting themselves in the foot. It took them a long time to really get those double points hauls and those high double points hauls where it allowed them to really shoot up the leaderboard. And this is why I bring this up now, is if you know, Renault wants to compete for that fourth place, which I still think they can do. If Renault wants to compete for that fourth place, like they have to get it done this weekend and they have to somehow sneak up there into the top six, try and snatch away that sixth place from uh, from Alex Albon um, or maybe one of the top three teams, one of the six drivers in the top three teams uh, gets a DNF and they can move up there. But this is for Danny Ricardo and Nico Hulkenberg. Um, to get up and get in there and put together a fantastic drive. Taking it one layer further on the Renault team, uh, Ricardo has 42 and Hulkenberg has 35. Uh, Ricardo was brought in. He's got a long-term contract. Obviously, the monumental move from Red Bull uh, over to Renault isn't working out for him so far. Um, but he, Nico Hulkenberg only seven points behind Daniel Ricardo, and Nico Hulkenberg doesn't have a seat next year. So... Uh, I think this is big for Danny Ricardo to make sure that he stays ahead of Nico Hulkenberg uh, just so he doesn't have to answer that question all offseason of, well, basically you lost to a guy who lost his seat 
in Formula One, uh, what makes you, you know, the number one driver and worth all this money and worth all this publicity here at Renault? Yeah, it's a difficult question. Um, can Renault do this? Like, is Zero Bitable's job on the line if he can't overcome this deficit and at least put in a fight? Uh, I feel like this is one you can't really put at the fault of the drivers. It's really on the team. So uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. Uh, one more thing to keep in mind. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week uh, and the weeks before. Signs, Albon, and Gasly, the fight for sixth place. Uh, Signs was able to make a good show of it and hold on to a good amount of points in Japan. Uh, he's sitting at 76. Albon behind him with 64, or Gasly behind him with 60. Gasly behind him with 73, and Albon behind both of them at 64 points right now. So um, we'll see if Albon can take advantage of uh, the Red Bull chassis in Mexico and make a good charge to try and unseat Carlos Sainz. But the way Sainz has been driving, I, I've changed my tune. I think that he's going to hold on to it. The way the McLaren has been, the way that Sainz has been at the wheel, uh, I think he's able to hold off Albon. I don't think Albon's going to be able to put enough points worth of distance between him and Sainz to catch up and overtake the Spaniard. Your 2019 driver standings with four races left to play. Lewis Hamilton out front with 338. Valtteri Botas in second with 274, Charles Leclerc in third with 221, then Max Verstappen with 212, Sebastian Vettel right behind him with 212, Carlos Sainz the best of the rest with 76, Pierre Gasly in seventh with 73, Alex Albon in eighth with 64, Daniel Ricciardo in ninth with 42, Nico Hulkenberg in tenth with 35, Sergio Perez in eleventh with 35, he's tied there with Lando Norris. Danny Kafiat in 13th with 33. Kimi Raikkonen in 14th with 31. Kevin Magnussen in 15th with 20. Stroll in 16th with 19. Grosjean in 17th with 8. Giovinazzi in 18th with 4. Robert Kubica in 19th with 1. And George Russell, four races left to get on the board, zero points. In your 2019 constructor standings, Mercedes with 612 locked up first place, Ferrari in second with 433, Red Bull with 323, McLaren in fourth with 111, Renault behind them with 77, Toro Rosso in sixth with 59 points, right ahead of Racing Point who has 54 points. Alfa Romeo a little bit farther down the order with 35 points. Haas behind them with 28 points. And finally, Williams with one point. On to our pick now. Standings sit at 9-2-8. Uh, Tom has made a ferocious comeback from an 8-4 deficit. I squeaked out the win last week thanks to that Verstappen DNF to go up 9-8 with four races left this season. Your podium in Japan was Valtteri Botas, Sebastian Vettel, and Lewis Hamilton. So they are off the board. Tom, we're going to be playing for a sixer. You know what? We're going with a cheap beer, so let's double it up. Let's make it a 12-pack of Tecate. Uh, you can also give me 12 tall cans of Tecate if you'd like. Um, Tecate. <laughs> I feel like I should just get you a 40 at this point if we're really going to go down this route. But uh, it doesn't matter. Either way, it's coming up to San Francisco. Uh, Verstappen is on the board. Uh, Verstappen has is two for two in the last two races. Uh, he's going to take the win in Mexico. It's going to be a cakewalk. Let's just start mailing the beer up here. I'm going to take Max Verstappen's future rival, Charles Leclerc, in the Ferrari. Bounce back race for him after a disappointing uh, Suzuka. Obviously a lot of politics 
went into that race in Japan. Um, I think he gets his head back straight over to the Americas and has a solid finish uh, to the end of the season and solidifies that third place in the WDC, beating out his teammate Sebastian Vettel. And the man's on the board, so I have to go with the smooth operator. I have to go with Carlos Sainz. Once again, it's an easy pick. It's on the board. He's going to do well. He's in a nation that speaks his language. He knows what he's doing. I see a sixth or seventh place incoming for Carlos Sainz. Mexico, a former member of the Spanish Empire, is what you're basing your uh, F1 picks on these days. That's an interesting take. I'm going to go with Sergio Perez, someone who speaks the same language uh, as those do in Mexico and is actually from Mexico. Um, Always love picking and rooting for the hometown kids. Um, Just driving through Mexico on different vacations we've been on. You know, you see Checo Perez everywhere. He's a massive superstar. I would love for him to do really, really well uh, this weekend as he's had an up and down year. Yeah, it's always fun when the hometown kid wins. Uh, although uh, now you now you're making me have to root against him this weekend in Mexico. Uh, I'm going to go with Danny Ricardo. Uh, he was on pole here last year. Obviously, he's in a much worse car this year, but I still think he has that performance in him uh, to do his best. And I think he has proven uh, that he can do the overtakes when they need to come. And uh, the start finish straight in Mexico is just a prime overtaking opportunity. Uh, so hopefully Ricardo can uh, repeat his performance from Japan and just do a whole bunch of overtakes at the end, get himself up there into the points. I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take a flyer here. I'm going to go with Pierre Gasly in the Toro Rosso. I like what he's been doing since he got back into that car. Uh, he had an eighth place last week and unfortunately a 14th back there in Russia, but then an eighth in Singapore. So I think, um, Singapore and Japan are a lot more like what we're going to see in Mexico. Uh, so I think he's going to actually perform well and sneak into the top 10. Um, he's felt comfortable in that car. He hasn't been in contact with a lot of other drivers. So I think he'll kind of play play his own game. That car's been reliable this year. So I'm going to take Pierre Gasly, the Frenchman. So there we go. Ted has Leclerc, Perez, and Gasly. I'm rolling with Verstappen, signs. And Ricardo qualifying will be taking place Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Great timing for us here in the States. It will conflict with your college football watching, but that is why God invented two screens. Uh, race time, Sunday, 2.10 p.m. Eastern, 12.10 p.m. Pacific time. That will be aired on ABC, on the big boy. Check us out at Overtake F1 Pod on Twitter. Like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Mexico is going to be great. Vamos.